Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Adrian. I'm going to read the Bible for us this morning. Before we start, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would quiet our thoughts and prepare our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, we would gain wisdom and understanding and grow to be more like your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, today's reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Morning. I heard a preacher recently talking about how it had been his 60th birthday and so his family gathered around at a party to all say nice things about him. And he said it was great. It was like being at your own funeral, except you're still alive to listen to people summing up your life and saying nice things about you. So I wonder, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? How would you like to be remembered? What good things would you like people to be saying about you? The answer to that question tells us what we really value. It helps us know what our confidence is in. We're getting into this new section uh, of this letter to the Philippians now. So in chapter 2, we've been thinking about how to live a life worthy of the gospel, striving together as citizens of heaven by having the same mindset as Jesus. And we've had um, great examples to follow for, of Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even Paul himself. 
But now Paul turns to safety first. Now you've probably had health and safety instructions at school or work. Well, Paul wants to make sure the Philippians are kept safe in, their, in continuing in their faith in Jesus. This church at Philippi is going really well. But we saw at the end of chapter 1, they are facing some opposition for belonging to Jesus. And there's a little bit of internal division as well. Well, Paul wants to make sure that they're kept safe in their gospel partnership through all of that. So what's Paul's top safety tip? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And then for the rest of the chapter, he shows us how to rejoice in the Lord. Now we'll just go up to verse 9 today. Uh, here's where we're going. First we'll look at who's who, then we'll look at Paul's losses and gains. So who's who, looking up to verse 3, losses, verses 4 to 7, and gains, verses 8 to 9. Eight and nine. First then, who's who? There is an external threat to the Philippian church looming on the horizon. Verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul's talking about the Judaizers. So Jewish converts who were going about saying to non-Jews, saying to Gentiles, that faith in Jesus is all well and good. But to be really counted as one of God's people, you need to be circumcised. I mean, after all, since the days of Abraham, this had been the sign of the promise, promise of God, the covenant sign, the way that every male showed that he was one of God's people. But Paul goes in really hard against these teachers. So dogs was a disparaging term that Jewish people used of Gentiles. He's referring to feral street dogs who were ritually and literally unclean, and they unclean foods. Their work of circumcision, he says, isn't gospel work, it's labouring in evil. And that phrase, mutilators of the flesh, deliberately brings to mind pagan practices of cutting yourself to please the gods, a practice strictly forbidden by the Jewish law. So in as strong words as he can muster, Paul's saying to these people's self-efforts to make themselves and others become God's people, that it's having the very opposite effect. They're being anti-God. Now, this is the same Paul who was just to have unity, to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Isn't he having a grumble and an argument here? Well, yes, but throughout Paul's letters, he's got loads of grace and sympathy for those who are being led astray by a false teaching, but he goes in hard against false teachers. Why? Because their minds are the very opposite of having the mind of Christ. They're leading others away from having the mind of Christ. They're a danger to people putting their trust and confidence in Jesus because they're encouraging people to put their trust and confidence in themselves, in stuff that they do, instead of stuff, instead of what Jesus has done. 
See, where people will spend eternity is at stake. There's no room for compromise on the gospel. That's why Paul goes in so hard. These guys aren't the real deal, says Paul. We are. Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. We're the ones who really belong to God. The ones God himself has circumcised, so marked as his own permanently, on the inside. Because our trust and confidence is in Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in any human effort to save ourselves apart from Jesus. So who's who? Well, anyone who teaches you you need something or someone other than Jesus to be made right with God is a dog, is an evildoer. Anyone whose confidence is in Jesus alone is truly one of God's chosen people. Did you notice how subtle the error is? How it's a bad thing dressed up in the clothes of a good thing. It's not like they were suggesting pagan rituals or anything like that. They're suggesting doing something that was the right thing to do for Jewish people for centuries. But now that's become as bad as a pagan ritual because God Saviour King Jesus has already come. The covenant that circumcision pointed to has been fulfilled. And so to carry on with it is like being rescued from a burning building and then sneaking back inside. Now, last time I checked, there aren't people going around the Trinity network of churches suggesting that us blokes get circumcised. But what evildoers teaching do we need to be wary of? Well, I think it's anything that says you can't be confident in your standing before God unless you have Jesus plus. Anything that says you need Jesus plus something else. So Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus confirmation. Jesus plus communion. I mean, those are good, normal Christian things to do. But they don't determine our standing before God. Then there's all the things that the world around us tells us we definitely have to have to be confident and secure. Um, teaching that we can end up replacing our confidence in Jesus with. So my world tells us that we need to search deep inside, find our deepest desires, and that confidence and security is found in expressing those desires as fully as we can, whatever the cost. And if we take that on board, our confidence can become in Jesus, plus me being true to myself. Whereas Jesus says, follow my example, forget yourself, set aside your own rights, your own desires, and put others' interests above your own. Jesus says, don't be true to yourself, be true to me. So who's who? We are the true people of God through Jesus not through anything we do to save ourselves. And Paul now weighs up the losses and gains of each. Losses and gains of rejoicing in yourself versus rejoicing in the Lord. So first, losses. Paul tots up the value of all the things he used to put his confidence in being in right relationship with God. He says, if you want to play that save yourself through things you do gain, uh, I can do better. 
I'll win hands down. Circumcision, says Paul. <laughs> I've been circumcised since I was a baby, to the letter of the law. Paul says, I've got a pedigree background. I'm not a convert to Judaism. I'm a proper Israelite. I'm not from some minor tribe. I'm from the famous warrior tribe of Benjamin. Please, I can speak Hebrew. I can read Hebrew, the original language of the law. The law which, by the way, I know better than most people. And I know all the extra laws that have been written about how to keep the law. Paul says, I'm completely orthodox. In fact, I used to define what orthodoxy is. And I was a real bigot for that law. I was willing to kill people to make sure others kept it. And I myself kept it to their letter. By any one of these measures that Paul can claim for himself, the Judaizers that he's writing to would have to look up to him and revere him. Revere him. But compared to Jesus, Paul says, it's all rubbish. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. All that stuff Paul used to think was to his profit is moved over to the liability column. Garbage, that word garbage there, is also the word for excrement. So once he clung on to these things for his confidence, now he's revolted by them in order to gain Christ. Have you ever had something you thought was really valuable, only to go on to realise it was worthless? In 2018, a guest curator working on a grand reopening at the Terrace Museum in Elne, France, noticed that a work claiming to be by artist Etienne Terrace depicted buildings constructed after his own death in 1922. The museum launched an investigation and they found that 82 of the 140 works in the museum were not by Terrace. The museum had apparently bought many of the paintings for €140,000 each and they were worthless. Paul used to put his confidence in the value of his law keeping and his heritage, but now he sees that standing before God with his confidence in those things will be like standing before God and presenting him with dung. That's the strength of the language that Paul's using here. He sees it for what it was. Paul, trusting in Paul to save Paul. We can't trust in ourselves, in our position, in our heritage, in our parents' faith, in all the good stuff that we do, and trust in Jesus. It's either or. Rejoicing in the Lord means letting go of rejoicing in our own works as our source of confidence for our standing before God. Because none of us have kept all the law, all the time. The gospel is not, you need to do something. The gospel is, something has been done for you.
So rejoicing in the Lord means letting go of confidence in our own works. And rejoicing in the Lord means remembering our true gains. Gains. Our next section. In verse 9, Paul expands on what it means to know Christ Jesus as Lord. To gain Christ. So from verse 8 again. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness means being in right relationship with God. All of us will have to stand before God and be dealt with fairly, judged by him. And under our own steam, even someone zealous like Paul is in trouble. No one has done enough religious stuff. No one's stayed out of enough trouble to not have to stand before God in shame, even by our own standards let alone by the standards of a good and perfectly loving God. But Jesus makes all our puny effort look like dung in comparison, because not only does he take on our sin, our record of wrong, and pay for it on the cross, but also we get his record of righteousness. So the two are contrasted there in verse 9. A righteousness of our own that we try to earn by doing good, doing enough good stuff versus the righteousness God gives us through faith in Christ. So notice it's not our faith itself that makes us righteous. Faith is like the conduit. What counts is who our faith is in. Our rejoicing in the Lord isn't fixing on something that we generate inside ourselves. Rejoicing in the Lord is fixing our confidence, our trust, our hope, our joy, our reliance on Jesus. And when we do that, Jesus' perfect obedience, Jesus' perfect love of God is credited to our account. It's like um, if we're severely overdrawn, about to have all our possessions repossessed by the bank, and then all of Jesus' treasures and riches get poured into our account. Jesus takes my standing before God and I take his standing before God. We've got this Toy Story 3 version of Uno and you can think you're about to win, but if someone plays this Lotso Bear card, they can exchange their loser's bulging hand of cards with your victorious hand at any moment. Jesus let go of his own rights, his own glory due to him for his perfect obedience. And he exchanged his winning hand with our losing hand. And this gives us hope, freedom, humility and unity. I'll run through each of these just quickly. We have hope. So chapter 1 verse 6 we read, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That future judgment that we will receive when Jesus returns, when we get the verdict he deserves, not the verdict we deserve, that status is brought forward when we put our trust and faith in Jesus. 
and God begins our transformation in the here and now and will eventually make us perfect on the day of Christ. So we have hope and we have freedom. We're free to work out our salvation in trembling and fear, to pursue others interested above our own, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We're free to share Jesus and to be like Jesus for his glory, not for our sake. Freed knowing that when we fail at that, we're going to be forgiven. Freed from endlessly trying to tot up enough air miles to get to heaven. We have hope, we have freedom. And having Jesus' righteousness gifted to us means we have also have humility. See, we're no longer impressed with ourselves like the Judaizers are and like Paul used to be. We don't need to proudly look down on others when we think we're doing a better job than them. Because we know that our own works are like garbage compared to our righteousness in Christ. We can instead rejoice in Jesus' humility. Jesus, who despite deserving all honour and glory, lowered himself to serve us. So instead of desperately pushing our own agenda in order to win at life, we're free to let go of ourselves and live for Jesus' interests by putting the interests of others first. We've got hope, freedom, we've got humility, and Jesus' righteousness brings us unity. Trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, for our right standing before God, removes all those you musts and you shoulds from between us. We have what is most important in common, Jesus' righteousness. We are together found hidden in him, united with him, his spirit living within us. We're same-souled, loving the same saviour, seeking to have his mindset. Hope, freedom, humility and unity. That's a lot of things to rejoice in. We safeguard ourselves by rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord by seeing any attempt to save ourselves, any attempt to introduce any Jesus plus for the dung that it is. Count it as loss. And rejoicing in the Lord means finding our joy, our trust that everything is going to be okay between us and God in Jesus. So what do you hope people will say about you at your funeral? I've already put a request in for the Benny Hill theme tune to be played as they process my coffin out. But what will people say about me? Well, I hope at my funeral it's like my mum's. My mum died nearly four years ago now. And if I could summarise what people said about her at her funeral, it was that she put their interests above her own. That she never wanted the attention on herself. And that her confidence was in Jesus, who she loves. I hope for all of us that at our funerals, people can talk about a great legacy of stuff that we've done, yes. But that they can say of all of us, we did it for Jesus and our confidence was in him.